Uh, there's a sermon notes page in that uh, little collection tonight of, uh, of handouts, and on the one side you'll see there uh, the actual sermon outline, and the other side there's a couple of passages from Scripture, uh, and then some uh, paragraphs from uh, what's called uh, what are called the Canons of Dort. That's one of the historic Protestant Christian confessions of faith uh, that uh, express what we believe about God and His amazing grace. So I want to read uh, tonight from Romans 8. It's that first passage that's uh, listed out there. You can read it there, or you can also turn your Bible to Romans 8, uh, verses 28 through 30. And the Apostle Paul says this in these beautiful words, very familiar words to some of us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And all of God's people say, Amen. Well, Romans 8 uh, is sometimes called the golden chain of salvation. Have you heard that phrase before? The golden chain of salvation. Uh, Because it goes uh, from the beginning to the end of the Christian's salvation. Uh, Predestination, that mysterious and eternal purpose of God and God's own heart and God's own mind and God's own purpose and will. It goes from predestination from before time, uh, from before anything existed, uh, before we had done anything either good or bad. It goes from predestination all the way unto eternity forever, eternity future. That is glorification. So God is the God who has predestined, but the God who also glorifies, and and everything else in between. So the the first little link in that golden chain of predestination, and the final link in that golden chain, sort of a a nice, uh, beautiful golden necklace, as it were, and all the links in between. And here the apostle speaks about uh, calling and, and sanctification, in fact, that God chose us, not just to choose us because he could, Uh, And not for us to say and revel in the fact that, well, I'm chosen and now I can do whatever we would like to do. No, he chose us so that we might be like Jesus, that we might be conformed to his image. He's the image of God. And so God is shaping us and molding us and forming us and fashioning us to be like Jesus. That's sanctification. Calling and sanctification and justification, all the aspects of what it means uh, for God to save us. So imagine a golden chain, a gold necklace, a gold chain. Uh, but it's not the cheap kind of gold chain that uh, maybe kids, you've seen at Dave and Buster's, right? You, you play some skee-ball or uh, you play uh, whatever game it might be. You get those little tickets that come out of the bottom of the game, the video game. Uh, you take those tickets after the party is done, at the end of the night is over with, and you go to the little prize shop. Uh, inside Dave and Buster's, and you think, wow, I've got a lot of tickets tonight. You know, I've got like 134 tickets, and I have did a good job uh, playing skee-ball. I've done a good job uh, 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 killing all those bugs in that uh, Jurassic Park game. Uh, you can tell I've been there a few times, right? Uh, I've got 134 tickets. I've got a lot. You know, you go into the, into the toy store, the little prize shop, and you uh, start walking around, and you're like, man, everything here costs like 10,000 tickets. 
I don't have a lot, actually. I thought I had a whole bunch. I thought I had a whole bunch, but I don't. And so about the only thing you can afford is like a little plastic container that has, looks like a gold chain. And you're like, wow, 134 tickets. It only costs 130, 130 tickets. Uh, and I can get a golden chain. And so you, you know, walk up to the front. You turn in your little, uh, that, that little plastic container. You give them your little tickets. You walk out. And you're proud of yourself. And you get to the car. You put the necklace on. And you wear it to bed. And you wake up in the morning. And where's the necklace? It broke. It's, it's like laying next to you in bed, right? The, the clasp broke. The, the, uh, the connections between the links weren't really as strong as you thought. They're not really even metal. They're not, surely not gold. The golden chain of salvation is not a cheap little trinket that you and I can purchase for ourselves. It's not made of fool's gold. It's not made of plastic. It's not just uh, made out of uh, some kind of stainless steel that they spray painted on a, with a machine to make it look nice. No, this is an unbreakable, uh, glorious, perfect golden chain. Every little clasp that are held together by the power and the grace of Almighty God. And this chain, as God gives this chain of salvation, it never can be broken, never can be removed, uh, never does it, make your, does it turn green and make your skin you know, uh, have an itchy feeling. No, it's an unbreakable, glorious, golden chain of salvation because it's God who's made it. It's God who gives it. And we see that here where God is the one who elects and God is the one who redeems and God is the one who regenerates, and as we want to think tonight, God's the one who preserves. We've been thinking for uh, just a few weeks about uh, what are called the doctrines of grace, and they're kind of a summary way for us to understand what it means for us to be Christians. Uh, What does it mean that God saves sinners? Uh, He does so by his grace, and so there are key doctrines that help us express the grace and mercy of God. Yes, he predestines. Yes, he, he elects. Uh, He is the one who redeems us on the cross by Jesus Christ. He regenerates us by the power of the Holy Spirit we saw last, uh, uh, a couple of Sundays, or actually last Sunday. Uh, And he's the God who preserves us, and then we also persevere, we'll see. I want us to think then about the doctrine of uh, preservation, or sometimes called perseverance, of the saints. Uh, they're, not the, they're not a different doctrine. They're the same doctrine, sort of like two sides of one coin. They're describing the same thing from maybe God's vantage point, that he's the one who preserves, and from our vantage point, we need to persevere. And so I want you to just, just to, for a few minutes here to think about the believer's weakness. So we're called here, uh, uh, we are called as Christians uh, to persevere. We're called to persevere in our faith. We're to run that race that God has set before us. That's what perseverance is. We're going to run the race with endurance, uh, the, the, the course that God has put before us. But we're, we, are, we are weak. We struggle with our sins. God has set us free from the reign and the slavery of sin. God has redeemed us, and he's adopted us, and he's regenerated us. He's caused us to be born again. Uh, as we'll see here in just a second from 1 Peter chapter number 1. Although in this life, though, God hasn't entirely freed us from what's called the flesh, our own sinfulness, or sometimes Paul describes it as the body of sin, the body of sin. We're not totally freed yet uh, from all the aspects of our sins. Our sins no longer condemn us. 
Our sins no longer are the reason uh, for our being condemned for all of eternity. We're no longer slaves of sin. It doesn't reign over us, but yet we still feel the effects of our sins. We still struggle daily with our sins. We're called to run that race. We run around that track, and we are to run for as long as we live. But sometimes on a track, there might be, uh, there might be a gopher hole. There might be a rock in the way. There might be some other people trying to elbow and jostle their way right into the very uh, first lane, the closest lane to, uh, to the middle of the track and uh, the fastest route to the finish line. There are lots of, lots of obstacles. And in our weaknesses, we struggle with those obstacles of our sinfulness, our flesh, the body of sin. We daily struggle. Uh, we have uh, our sins cling on to even the best things that we can do. We feel like we've done a good job, and we feel like we've prayed really well, or we feel like, you know, we, we took some time out of, our, out of our week to go to church, and we feel like we've done a good job of, of serving the Lord, and uh, we have given of ourselves, we've, we've given offerings, or I mentioned this morning, like time and talent and treasure. We, we feel like we've done a good job of, of being a Christian dad or a Christian mom, uh, or a wife, or a husband. We feel like we've been a good, uh, done a good job of being a, being a Christian son, or being a, being a daughter of God. But deep down inside, we know that, you know, we really haven't done that great of a job. Even the best works of the best saints are still tainted by sins. And so even though we're called to persevere, we must heed that call of Scripture to run the race, as Hebrews 12 describes it. We have to also recognize that we're weak that we're weak. Uh, we're going to need to get some hydration on the route. We're going to need uh, to hear the crowd cheering us on. We're going to need teammates to, to slow down and run with us to, to push us ahead, uh, to pull us ahead, or we're going to need the teammate behind us to catch up. We're going to have to call to them to catch up and run with us. And so uh, all that because we're weak, because we, we need that encouragement. So we are weak in ourselves. We are weak in our own flesh. We are even weak in our, in our best works as Christians. But none of, that, none of that can break the clasps, the connections between those links in the chain of the golden chain of salvation. Let's also turn over uh, for a second or two, for a minute or two, to uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1. Uh, you'll see there the second point, the believer's perseverance. So we're called to persevere, uh, but yet we recognize our weakness, but we have to secondly hear what this call to perseverance is. And here, Peter, we saw this text a couple of Sundays ago, uh, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living or to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Spirit of God we've seen, but the power of Christ has given us new life. We are born again, believers. And we are born again, notice, to a living hope. Through Christ's resurrection, just like he truly is alive, so too we are alive. Despite our sins. Despite our weaknesses. Despite, like Job, we read tonight, in his feelings of spiritual depression and just, God, would you just make the pain end? We're still alive, though, even in those moments. And he's made us alive. He's, he's brought us to out of the grave of our sins and the power of the devil to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, 
unfading like a golden chain. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And it's in this salvation that he's saying that we are born again to, you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to see in those verses and in that wonderful and beautiful little hymn of praise from the Apostle Peter, notice the believer's perseverance. Notice how we are to per, uh, persevere. Notice how we are to run the race that's set before us. Uh, notice how, as Paul says elsewhere, we are to strive towards that upward call of God in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We do it by faith, first and foremost. By faith. Notice verse 5. Faith, we've seen in other passages, is the means that God has given to us to receive Jesus. And it's the means, it's the method, it's the way that God has also given to us to cling to Jesus continually. It's not enough for us to, to say that we believe in Jesus once. We've got to cling to Jesus. You are being kept. You are being guarded, notice, by the power of God for that great and glorious eternal salvation through faith. Through faith. God is, we will see, God does the work of preservation, but we have to do the work of persevering through faith. Again, verse number 7 uh, describes our faith that needs to be, needs to be, Preser, uh, 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 refined, that is, refined like gold through fire. Our faith, our, 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 uh, the gift of God that we have faith to, to embrace Jesus. It's kind of like, like uh, uh, there's faith that's the raw faith and there's faith that's the refined faith. Right? There's faith at the beginning of our Christian life and as it's being refined and there's faith in the end. Right? That's what he describes here which is that, that outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Just like there's gold, that when gold is mined, it, doesn't, it looks kind of like gold, but it also has a lot of junk attached to it. And it has to be burnt up and, and melted and smelted, and then it has to be refined into the gold that you and I see and that we like and that we see as a precious thing. God has given you faith, and that faith, in a sense, is like raw gold, and it needs to be purified. It needs to be refined. And that's the, per, that's the process of perseverance, that faith is growing, that faith is becoming stronger, that faith is becoming pure, that faith is becoming more refined, that faith that's raw is becoming more like that faith that one day will be faith in perfection. And in verse 8, he describes the fact that we don't see Jesus. 
Now, he's, and it's interesting, he's saying that if you just look at verse, uh, verse 1 and so forth, uh, the very opening of, of the letter. Peter's writing this as a, as a Jew in Jerusalem. He's writing this to Christians in what is today modern-day Turkey, which then would have been uh, uh, Asia, uh, the Roman province of Asia Minor. Uh, they, they weren't there when Jesus lived and walked and died and was resurrected on the face of this planet. He was, they weren't there. They didn't see him. They didn't hear his voice. Uh, uh, they didn't see the empty tomb. They weren't there on the Mount of Calvary seeing Jesus upon a cross. Yet they believe, he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. That's what faith is. Receiving and embracing the promises of God despite the fact that you may never have seen those promises in the reality. And so the believer's perseverance is by faith throughout, he's describing here. It's also through trials, I mentioned there, verse 6. In this you rejoice, the salvation to come, though now for a little while, if it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There are many trials in the Christian life, in the race that is before us. There are the inner temptations of that, uh, that sin nature that we have. We feel those temptations. We know those temptations. And there are outward temptations from the world around us. The things that we know that uh, if we partake of this, if we see that, if we hear that, if we go there, if we, play, if, if we, if we do something with him or her, we know that those outward temptations are going to lead us to inner temptations. They're going to lead to nothing but more sin. We all know those things. We should know those things. There's persecution. That's what these believers in in particular were facing, the persecution of those outside the church, uh, unbelievers, whether they were uh, unbelievers from the Jewish community or from the the Roman community. There were hardships as well uh, of trusting the Lord. He's promised us our daily bread, but yet it's a hardship to be able to see that coming to reality. There are hardships of trusting him, in, in various big and small ways in our daily lives. Yet, we have faith in him, and that faith is being refined through those trials. Uh, the race isn't going to be always uh, uh, you know, nice and glorious. Uh, we're not going to run the race and just feel like we, uh, you know, instead of sp- sprinting uh, one-minute miles for a mi- uh, one-minute laps for a whole mile, we're not, gonna, we're not just going to finish that race and, and just walk away. Have you ever seen a person run a marathon? When they're done with the marathon and they're finished running uh, all those miles, uh, do they just end their, in their, and they're just, they, they just, they go to IHOP next door and get some pancakes? Do they just go to Starbucks and get a, get a venti latte because they just ran a, 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 ran a marathon? No, they're exhausted. They're beat down. They're worn down. Sometimes you pass out. You collapse because of the endurance that's necessary to run a race. And so through various trials and tribulations, the believer perseveres by faith through trials, but also in love. But also in love. Though you do not now see him, you believe. Though you've never seen him, you love him. We have that phrase... uh, that famous little line that uh, absence makes the heart grow. You know that one? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Jesus is in his humanity, in his body, he's absent from us. 
though you have not seen him. He says to these believers and to us, you love him. His absence makes our hearts grow fonder, and so our perseverance is a perseverance in love towards our Lord Jesus, and it's with great joy, it's with great joy that we persevere. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. You can't see him. You've never met Jesus yet face to face. We've never heard that booming voice like the apostle heard on the road to Damascus. We haven't seen him in his exaltation like the apostle saw him. Everyone else heard the voice. They saw nothing. He saw Jesus. You've not seen him yet. You love him and you rejoice. The apostle says, with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. That's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is just, you know, an outward, fleeting feeling uh, that comes and goes. Joy is that inner quality that even when, like Job, you feel like just lying down and dying, you know that you will see the Lord face to face. And there's a joy of a, of a quality. Uh, there is a joy that is uh, lasting. There is a joy that's inexpressible, that's filled with glory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I are called to persevere by faith, through trials and love, with joy. It's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot of work. That sounds like a whole lot, Pastor. Man, that sounds tiring. That's why it's a race, right? That's why it's a race. With, run with endurance, the Bible tells us. So on that side of the coin, it's very arduous and it's very difficult. It's like Jesus describing uh, uh, how difficult it was for a person to enter the kingdom of God who had great riches. It was, a, it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's how difficult it is to enter the kingdom. It's a straight and a narrow path. It's hard. Broad and wide is the path to destruction, and many follow that one because it's easy. On the other hand, though, God is the one who's preserving us. You are to have faith in Jesus. You are to have faith in him through all the trials of your life. You are to love Jesus. You are to have joy in Jesus. And those things can fluctuate and go up and down. And they can grow. They can retract. You can feel hot uh, in faith. And you can feel dim and cold in faith at times. Your love can be strong for Jesus. It can feel like it's slipping away. On the other hand, though, there's God. God's preservation. Did you see here in all this the power of God? That it's God who in his great mercy, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Uh, It is God who has called us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And do you see the verbs there? That inheritance that awaits us. We've been born again to become like the firstborn son of the greatest king the world's ever known. With inexhaustible riches, you and I are like the, the firstborn son of that great king. And that inheritance that is there, it is an imperishable inheritance, an undefiled inheritance, an unfading inheritance. 
and it's kept in heaven in a treasury for you. Who's doing the keeping? Who's doing the keeping? The Lord. Who, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith. Notice that the inheritance is being kept by God and you too are being guarded, kept by God. It's the same verb, kept and guarded. God is guarding, he's keeping that inheritance that's awaiting us. We will get it, is what he says. Through many trials and tribulations, yes, we will inherit that great and glorious inheritance, those treasures. Why will we inherit those things? Because he's guarding us. It's his power that's guarding us. Didn't Jesus tell us in the gospel that the Father holds us in his hands and that Jesus holds us in his hands and who is unable to snatch us from the hands of God? No one. The devil may try to snatch us, but he cannot. He even told Peter that the devil had asked to sift Peter like wheat. And God allowed him to sift him up to a point, but only to the point into which his faith felt like it was going to fail. But the Lord said that was the limit. He could be sifted no more. Just like with Job. God, uh, the devil wanted to strike him down and take everything. And the Lord gave limits to the devil. Why? Because he's God. You are being kept by the power of God. We are born again as sons to an inheritance that is being kept and preserved and reserved by God. You yourselves are by God's own power being guarded and kept and so forth for salvation. You see here again, we might say the guarantee. The guarantee of our perseverance is not in our efforts, it's not in the sweat of our brow, the toils of our lives, it's in the power of God. The inheritance in you are guarded and kept. So back in the late 90s, uh, or middle, the mid-90s, late 90s, and then I guess the early 2000s, um, Former, former Vice President Al Gore once gave that illustration uh, of, uh, in, in a debate um, about Social Security. You might remember that, Medicare and Social Security and so forth. A uh, very, very famous illustration. And uh, I won't, I won't pre- uh, presume to do his, uh, his Tennessean accent, but uh, he, he gave an illustration of, of, uh, of why you should vote for, for him to become the new president. And he said, if you vote for me, of course... Uh, all that money for Social Security, for all of your, for grandma and grandfather, uh, all that money is going to be put away in a lockbox. Remember that illustration? Those of us who are old enough remember that. Larry, Larry knows that illustration very well, I'm sure he does. It's all going to be guarded in a lockbox. The key, sort of, the key's put in, it's locked up, the key's thrown away. No one can touch that money. Now my opponent, of course, wants to get his grubby little hands on that money and and take it away. Now, of course, the great, the great secret behind uh, the veil uh, was that there was no, there was no money. <laughs> there was no money in the lockbox, right? It was empty. 
it was empty. So uh, God, though, promises to reserve all the treasures that are ours, all, all that inheritance. It's not in a politician's lockbox. It's guarded by God. It's guarded by God. Notice it's reserved in heaven. Where, where, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? At the right hand of God in heaven, right? Can Jesus diminish? Can, can Jesus fade? Can Jesus luster, you know, no longer be there? I mean, can the Father just sort of get rid of Jesus? Kick him out of heaven? No. If Jesus can't be kicked out of heaven, if he can't perish, if, if he can't be defiled, if he cannot fade... In the same way, the, the, the reservation of your inheritance and your own faith is in the same place as Jesus. If he's preserved, we might say, then so are, so are you going to be. And so we can confidently then, as, as brothers and sisters, as, as God's children, we can confidently persevere, run that race with faith through many, many difficult trials with love in our hearts for Jesus and a great lasting joy that cannot be removed. Why? Because God is the one who by his power preserves us, weak believers. Struggling believers, tripping over the obstacles on the road, whose love feels low and and cold and whose joy seems to come and go as the sun rises and sets. It's God, though, who preserves you. And so our confidence is in him. Our confidence is in him. And this is why he exhorts us to to this faith and persevering through trials and love and joy, because God is the one who's preserving you. And so let's, with confidence, serve the Lord. And with great, lasting joy, love him. Trust in him, this God of grace, who's given to you the inheritance of a golden chain of salvation that cannot perish, that cannot fade, that cannot be taken away. He's given it, he's promised it, he's going to keep it. Amen.